African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. This is a program that contextualizes the big issues on the African continent. Well, today we're looking at an international relations story with Nigeria's Dr. Ngozi Okonjo Awiela, who has been appointed the seventh Director General of the World Trade Organization. This makes her the first woman and the first African to head the multilateral trade body. Okonji Wiela is the former finance minister of Nigeria and a former managing director of the World Bank. The United States, under the Donald Trump administration, had blocked her appointment in October last year, despite strong endorsement from almost all WTO members. And today we're going to be discussing what are the implications of having an African leading this particular uh, international body. To help us on this conversation, we joined by Kulufelo Kugla, I hope I'm saying her surname right there, I didn't ask her, counsel at the Advisory Center on World Trade Law. Also, I have Dr. Olayinka Ajala, who's a lecturer in politics and international relations at Leeds Beckett University. Professor Caroline Ngube joins us. She operates within the University of Cape Town's Commercial Law Department. Thank you all for giving us your time. Kulufelo, did I say your surname correctly there? Yes, you did. In fact, I don't have very high standards as long as you don't call me Kulufelo Kruger, which happens a lot. <laughs> all right, all right. I just well. had to, to make sure because I love pronouncing people's names correctly. I but let me start that. the conversation with uh, Dr. Ajala just to give us a context on who uh, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo Iwela is. We know that she was the former Nigerian finance minister. Dr. Ajala, who is this lady? We know that she's started within the politics spheres of uh, Nigeria and moved into uh, international trade space. What are your thoughts around her? Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me again on your program. Um, uh, it's a good thing to have um, Dr. Okonjo Iwiala uh, being the first, as you rightly said, black um, African and um, wo- woman at the WTO. Um, I would describe her as someone uh, with an humble beginning, and it's um, significant for two things. Uh, uh, before I talk about that, the first thing about her is um, she began her education in Nigeria. She schooled in Enugu State and then in Oyo State, um, where she had a secondary school. So she had uh, she went to secondary school at Queen School in Enugu, and then St. Anne's in Molite Ibadan, and then international school before going to study at Harvard University. So she studied her first degree uh, in economics at Harvard University, and then she did um, a PhD at um, MIT, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, uh, where she obtained a PhD. So she's someone that um, grew up um, in Nigeria, um, had a secondary school education in Nigeria, and then went on to study abroad before going back to Nigeria to uh, work in politics. 
One other unique thing about her is she's the only woman that has served as um, finance minister under two presidents in the history of Nigeria. So she served under um, President Olusha Gobasanjo and later under um, Good Luck Jonathan as the uh, finance minister in Nigeria. And then she also has a um, lot of experience um, in um, economics at the World Bank. She's the head of a lot of, of birds. And she's an inspiration to women and, and young girls all over um, Africa and all over the world. Um, it's something that um, I talked about extensively in my class yesterday, how her becoming the Director General of the World Trade Organization shows us, especially in Africa, that educating the girl child is very important and they could achieve high potentials. Mm, definitely. Let me move the conversation to you, Kulufelo, in terms of how important is this move for the World Trade Organization? I mean, I think it's it's very important. I think, firstly, for, for Africans, um, it's a very good signal. It's a very important signal that uh, we have very competent women and, of course, very competent Africans who can lead an organization of this stature. And I think it's also important for the organization because in in the term of its existence, it hasn't had an African DG before. And of course, it hasn't had a woman DG before. But, you know, there's always this talk about, you know, it's Africa's turn. And I think the step that the members have taken and the trust that they've shown in her capabilities and her impressive experience is just, uh, you know, a very good uh, demonstration of that. And it's very positive. Mm. Let me ask the same question to you, Professor Ngube, around the significance of this appointment. So I thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure uh, to be here. I just want to say that I agree completely with what the other two have said. This is a momentous um, appointment. Um, it speaks volumes to people in all walks of life and particularly to African women and African younger women. And I think for me, it's important because the organization needed to move in this direction at some stage. We needed to have an African DG. We needed to have a female DG. And what really grabs me is the confluence of this appointment. We have two in one, and it is truly momentous. Let's look at the critical issues because, Professor Ngube, before her appointment, there were a lot of issues around her qualification, whether she's dealt with trade issues. Um, what were your thoughts when those issues were arising? Uh, definitely, she's well achieved, as uh, Dr. Ajala highlighted the, her credentials, but there seemed to have been a politicization of her appointment. Yeah, so the first thing I wanted to say about that, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, when you say there were objections, uh, perhaps particularly around the fact that she had not been a trade minister before, the very first pushback that comes from me is, but how many objections were there? When we look at the consensus that was built at the WTO, I mean, all countries bar one were behind this candidate. And so my first uh, sense or or take on this is that these objections about her experience really were perhaps um, overstated or given too much airtime. It was just one state, and there was consensus from 164 others. And so for me, those objections really didn't really persuade me that much. My own sense is that uh, you don't need the 
DG him or herself to have been a trade minister because mm. the DG does not work on her own. She works with the secretariat and all of the expertise and the experience that might be required from a trade negotiator. She has a team to draw from. And so for me, it was never a valid objection to her appointment. Mm. Dr. Ajala, what are your thoughts? You work in the sphere of politics and international relations. We know that the Donald Trump administration was trying to block her appointment last year in October sometime. Yeah, I agree with the last speaker. Um, yeah, it's not just about her alone. Um, the Donald Trump administration had um, a lot of um, issues with people with black people, with people from Africa. Remember, Nigeria was one of the countries that was put on the uh, a category of people from Nigeria were put on the banned list, on the list of people banned from coming to America by Donald Trump, together with people from uh, other African countries and other Asian countries. So I think um, it has to do with our background and the country in which she was coming from. Um, the lots of things have been said about Nigerians and Africans in America and um, despite the fact that Nigerians are the most educated people in times of um, education in America, there are lots of negativity that surrounds um, several Nigerians. And I think this actually might have fed into the politics that um, uh, played out when it came to that. Um, Nigeria is not a big ally of, of America during the time of, of, of Donald Trump, and this played a significant role. And then again, as um, uh, clearly stated by the last speaker in terms of um, the reason given, she clearly has um, excellent leadership potentials, um, rising to the um, level she rose to at the, at the World Bank. Um, she was in charge of over $81 billion in finances at the World Bank when she was the, uh, when she was the managing director there. So she clearly has the, the, the leadership the experience, leadership experience, as well as the wherewithal to, to perform in this role. Uh, but it was um, political. And then also, the, I think there was also uh, the issue of um, geopolitical politics between China and, um, and um, U.S. Uh, the other leading candidates were from South Korea. So mm. I think that also played into it a bit. Maybe America might be thinking someone from South Korea uh, being a, a, uh, a staunch ally of the U.S. might actually favor the U.S. in times of this trade um, tussle um, mm. than someone from Nigeria, from Africa. Absolutely. Kulufelo, would you want to highlight anything in, in that light around the contestations, which were minimal, as stated by Professor uh, Ngube and Dr. Ajala, stating the fact that uh, the majority of WTO members were behind her? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely echo uh, what they have stated. And even she, and I agree, this is it's just a red herring. I mean, this is a woman who was uh, the Minister of Finance twice. And, you know, she coordinated, you know, aspects of trade, including customs and, and you know, that type of uh, revenue collection. That falls under the Ministry of Finance. And also what is important is that, um, yes, she was never a trade negotiator. But as she highlighted herself, if... All you needed to do the job is somebody who was a trade negotiator. All these problems would have been solved a long time ago. And she brings in a fresh perspective, and she brings in 25 years of, you know, a career at the World Bank, as previously stated. So I think all of these objections were really kind of, as I said, a red herring, really distracting attention from what is really important.
Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with our guests just to look at the machinery of the World Trade Organization. What would we expect from her as Africans in this uh, world body that has actually been uh, criticized for being very uh, developed countries centric? Uh, We'll look at uh, issues around COVID-19 that are central to the World Trade Organization. How does Africa actually use this lady as a, a must? Uh, to actually uh, find favor uh, in times whereby there is a strangling when it comes to acquiring these particular uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Also, there's the African continental free trade area, which now features as a main theme in Africa. Uh, can uh, uh, Dr. Angozi be an ambassador for this uh, landmark African initiative? If you're just joining us now, we have uh, Professor Caroline Ngube, who is joining us uh, as uh, a lead within the UCT's commercial law. And also we have Kolofelo uh, Kogla, uh, who's a counsel at the Advisory Center on World Trade Law. And uh, that is uh, based in Geneva, where she's joining us. We also have Dr. Olayinka Ajala joining us uh, from uh, uh, Leeds uh, Bequet University. He's a lecturer in politics and international relations. It's 22 minutes past 11 o'clock. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Well, you're listening to Channel Africa, South Africa's external service into sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Moshatama, right here on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Friday, we contextualize the big issues on the African continent. Today, we're zooming on the appointment of Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwiela as the seventh director general of the World Trade Organization. We're joined by Professor Caroline Ngube, Kulufel, 
Kelo Kugler and uh, Dr. Olayinka Ajala. Professor Ngube, let me start this part of the conversation with you in terms of why it is um, a, a very important time to have an African within uh, the World Trade Organization leading it. What are your thoughts around this particular development in terms of Africa uh, when it comes to the machinery of the World Trade Organization? Well, I think that perhaps there has been a pervasive sense that um, Africa, along with other developing parts of the globe, have been on the back foot, so to speak, that perhaps they haven't had as much influence uh, as they required, and perhaps that the outcomes from the organization haven't always been um, in their best interest. And so I would feel that this appointment, then, that the DG now herself is from Africa, might provide um, some support, some backing, and it might only be a sense, because remember I said to you there is a sense that Africa is losing out, Africa is on the back foot, and so perhaps even at that very basic level of an appearance of evening of the odds um, of maybe the playing field is that much uh, fairer, that for me would be quite important. Um, as a starting point. I'm sure Kolo has some thoughts about this, uh, mm. and I think she might be better placed than me to actually answer this question. So, Kolo, your, your thoughts on that? No, not, I mean, not at all, yes. I mean, I completely agree with you, uh, Caroline. Um, and I agree that it also sort of brings a little bit of, or a little more legitimacy to the organization, right? Um, you know, the agreements and, of course, the sentiment is around inclusive trade. But when one region has not had a chance to be the director general of this organization, then there's questions around that. So absolutely, I agree, you know. And of course, bringing in an African perspective into into global trade issues, I think that's very positive. But that said, I think we should also modulate our expectations um, Mm. of her as an African in that position, because obviously she cannot just push an African agenda Um, A lot of the members on Monday congratulated her and also said, although we have supported you, uh, all the African members have supported you, you are the WTO's DG, you are the DG of 164 members. So I think, yes, um, obviously as an African and obviously from her perspective and obviously because she's been a, a development economist for all these years, she has this natural sympathy and leaning towards development issues. But at the same time, she has to balance all of the other stakeholders' expectations as well. And I think that will be you know, something that she can do very, very well. Mm. Did you think there will be a challenge in terms of the current um, atmosphere we're in because of uh, limitations with uh, economic participation due to COVID-19 challenges, uh, Kolofelo? Um, also, we have uh, this issue of uh, Africa seeing itself as uh, a bystander in COVID-19 vaccine acquisitions. Yes, I mean, I I completely agree, and I think this would be her very first challenge um, as a DG, and I think how she manages this very, I guess, explosive issue, you know, will sort of, you know, set the tone for the rest of her tenure. And, I mean, she stated, and I think it's obvious for everybody, that access to vaccines is very important. Uh, Vaccine nationalism does not pay, because Mm. obviously if one country does not have access to the vaccine or a few countries don't have access to the vaccine, it doesn't help that, uh, you know, the more developed and richer countries have access to the vaccine. 
And what has stood out for me in her trying to really, you know, creep or tread very lightly mm. on this topic is this third way that she has been pushing that, um, you know, let's see what the pharmaceutical companies are doing. They're already starting with, you know, issuing voluntary licenses and giving uh, uh, man- manufacturers the ability to, to produce their, vac- their vaccines. So maybe let's follow that and maybe let's see if we can just get out of this issue and not have to deal with it directly, right? Mm. And really try to, to encourage those uh, those vaccine uh, developers and, and 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 those vaccine those those companies that hold the intellectual property to to give rights to manufacturers, especially in developing countries, to scale up production. Hmm. Dr. Jala, what are your thoughts there? As Kulufelo is citing the fact that uh, the the big challenge for uh, Dr. Ngoz is not the fact that uh, she has to prioritize the continent of Africa, but um, she has a whole lot of members within the WTO membership structure that she has to actually accommodate and uh, not find favor or find herself having favorites in this line. However, another challenge would be a global one, an international relations one that you cited earlier, which is uh, the new relations that have to be reestablished between uh, China and the United States uh, with that trade uh, battle uh, becoming uh, very much of a key feature under Donald Trump's administration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you look at um, the World Trade Trade Organization at the moment, um, it's uh, been described as being as its lowest in uh, since its creation. In uh, 2020, September 2020, the Chat- Chatham House in London identified um, eight key issues facing um, World Trade Organization. Um, the first one is um, um, China and um, having a level playing field in the field of um, trade. Second one is commerce and digital trade. Investment is another one. Agriculture and development, sustainable agriculture, uh, trade and non-trade issues, building domestic support. And so there, these are lots and lots of challenges uh, facing the World Trade Organization at the moment. Um, so she um, she has to kick the, uh, eat the ground running and uh, face these challenges held on. And in terms of Africa, um, she uh, she's an African. She's always proudly African, even the way she dresses and um, the way she comports herself. Uh, I'm sure she would have like a pet project uh, which she would want to have a name on. Hopefully this would be Africa. Um, she has a lot of experience in debt cancellation. Um, she was able to help Nigeria Council uh, or renegotiate um, over $30 billion of debt when she was finance minister. So I think um, the debt profile of, of African countries and um, um, level playing ground in terms of trade, um, these are some things she has a lot of experience on and she would probably um, be using, hopefully, as a pet project. But at the same time, it's a, an organization that is riddled with um, so several issues at this point, and she, she's in charge of the whole world, not just Africa. So she, won't, she shouldn't be expected uh, to come in and solve uh, all Africans' trade pro- uh, problems. Uh, it's not going to happen, but I, I think she would bring in her experience and have some pet projects to her name, um, which she would use her experience and knowledge of Africa to, to, 
to tackle head on in relation to Africa. Uh, it's been said recently, it is in uh, the, uh, the, uh, the interest of the whole world to actually make sure that our African countries are stable, both economically, politically, and again, more recently, elsewise, mm. because of the global pandemic. So I'm sure, also being the head of the Gavi uh, Vaccine Alliance, um, she's done an excellent job in trying to solicit for um, vaccines for African countries and for developing countries as a whole. So she has a lot on her plate, but I'm sure she's going to deliver, and I, I hope and pray she delivers excellently. Mm. Professor Nube, I'll come back to you after our break. I just wanted to ask you around uh, this issue that uh, Trudy Heisenberg said you'd be an expert in around uh, issues around temporary waivers of uh, certain trips obligations in response to COVID-19. We know that has to do with intellectual property issues around COVID-19. We'll deal with that particular question uh, after this break. It's uh, 33 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLeg to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I've tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, on African Dialogue. And I'm not alone. I'm joined by three fantastic guests who are helping us unpack the importance of this appointment of Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwiela as the seventh director general of the World Trade Organization. I want to start this part of the conversation with you, uh, Professor Caroline Ngube, as Trudy, who is the executive uh, director of TRAILAC, that's Trudy Eisenberg, said that this is an area expertise that you could speak on issues around the World Trade Organization members to continue discussions on the proposal by Indian South Africa for a temporary waiver of uh, certain TRIPS obligations in response to COVID-19. Let's start with this TRIPS obligation and what this TRIPS is, just for listeners who don't understand this particular issue. Can you help us understand what this is all about? Yes, certainly. So the the TRIPS agreement, uh, just to bring our listeners on board, is an agreement that deals with the trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights. And so it's one of the many agreements that fall under the WTO. It specifically deals with rights in patents, in copyright, industrial designs, undisclosed information, and so forth. And so what it does is it sets minimum standards, global minimum standards, that WTO member states must comply with in their intellectual property laws in their countries. And so it's quite influential in that respect. And I think everybody is aware that um, 
the diagnostics, the medication, the vaccines, and everything that are required to deal with this uh, current pandemic, of course, are implicated by intellectual property rights, patents are relevant, and, and all of that. And so intellectual property rights are at the fore of the global response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is a matter that's been discussed um, on various levels and at the WTO. And so that's just a, a brief overview of IP and its relevance to the global pandemic at the moment. And I wondered if I could then just go straight to talk about the waiver or did you want to... Yeah, you can go ahead. Event? No, go ahead. Okay, so South Africa and India last October put forward a proposal which has since been supported by many other countries um, that says in order to mount a meaningful response to the pandemic, let uh, the WTO decide on a waiver to temporarily suspend some of the obligations or the minimum standards in relation to copyright, to patents, to industrial designs and undisclosed information to make it that much easier to produce vaccines and distribute them uh, without the hindrances, if you want, of intellectual property rights. So I want to be very careful about this. It would be a temporary waiver. Mm. It would pertain to these four rights. It would be reviewed annually by the members of the WTO until such a time comes that it is no longer needed um, to rely on this waiver. Mm. And, the, and the reason it was put forward is because, the you know, the means that we have at our disposal haven't really assisted us because when you look at this global maps of where the vaccine is being distributed, they are quite glaring uh, because you see large parts of the global south are left out. And so I think what we have currently in our arsenal is not working. It's not delivering what we need, fast vaccine distribution and everything else we need. And so this is why this proposal was put forward. Um, the proposal has not made much headway. There have been several meetings at the TRIPS Council. There has not been consensus, and so it's still on the table. And I was just looking at the website now. There will be a meeting next week of TRIPS Council to decide to discuss this and further in March. And so we, we haven't made headway. And I suppose the question is, what is the new DG of the WTO going to do about this? Can she move us forward? Mm. All right, we, we're running out of time, and I think that was a comprehensive response from uh, Professor Nube. I want to move to the issue of the African continental free trade area and how Dr. Ngozi is um, uh, featuring within uh, the World Trade Organization could influence um, this particular uh, ambition for the continent. Kulufelo, do you have thoughts around that? Absolutely. I just want to sort of, you know, proffer my, my statement by saying that um, the FCFTA has attracted a lot of attention globally, and I think there's a lot of goodwill from many, many, many different countries to support Africa to succeed in this initiative. And that said, um, you know, she even mentioned this in, in her in her interventions that um, there are resources available at the WTO that African countries can draw upon to get the necessary support for this project to really take off and in the form of maybe aid for trade or even capacity building. Uh, the WTO has a specific department that assists members um, in their capacity building. And so I think um, maybe this could be her, um, as Dr. Jenna said, pet project. Mm. Really try and discuss and you know talk to the African ambassadors here in Geneva and find out 
you know, what do their capitals need in terms of support? What mm. is necessary? And what can the WTO do to support the AFCFTA to really take off the ground? And I think this is something that is possible. Uh, oh. within her time at the WTO, and they definitely resources they available. Well, what would we need as, because, um, I mean, this is a, a continental initiative from Africa's side. Would we need the interventions of the uh, World Trade Organization to get this uh, going, Kulufelo? Well, I mean, it's just a matter of the, the delegates or the ambassadors or capital asking for the support, you know, mm. It could be in various ways. For example, if we need a training at the FCHA under, I don't know, customs administration or trade remedies or whatever the case may be, this, these are resources that are already available and these are resources that the WTO already provides at a regional level. So it's all set up and it's all available. So I think we as Africans and, of course, you know, our, our, our leaders need to decide and need to think about what is it that we need from the WTO and merely just request Mm. Let me give the the last uh, question to you, Dr. Ajala, in terms of uh, the developing world being critical of the World Trade Organization, as was alluded there by Professor Ngube when we started the conversation with poor countries in the global south, arguing the organization doesn't have decision-making power in the way it is with compared to uh, developed countries. Do you think, think this criticism of decision-making powers will be something that is pinned on the new head to deal with because of her status as an African? Absolutely. Um, it's uh, one of the things I think she has to deal with. Uh, it's not just the World Trade Organization. Developing countries are, are skeptical about many international organizations. Look at the International Criminal Court as well. Um, developing countries, especially African countries, are critical of this organization as well. And one of the reasons is because um, the decision-making arms of these organizations are devoid of people from developing countries. So um, now that um, someone who is um, from Africa is African and who understands um, the plight of African countries at the head of World Trade Organization, I think this could actually... Um, be a good way to actually change um, the orientation and change the attitude of, of developing countries towards the multinational corporations or organizations like the international organizations like these. So uh, I'm hoping that um, she'll be given a chance because it's not going to have happen overnight. But having when you have um, people from developing countries at the table, uh, especially in decision making, mm. as long as they are not there as figurehead, I think it will. Um, realistically give um, Africans, the other developing countries, um, an opportunity to have a voice and feel that they have a voice um, in making decisions at the highest level. Professor Caroline Nube, your, your final sentiments to this discussion. It's been very interesting and we've learned a few things on um, trade law, which is something that uh, is very much can be cerebral for some of us ordinary citizens. But let's just get a, a last statement from you on the importance of this moment. The importance of this moment uh, cannot be overemphasized. And I just want to repeat a phrase that I've heard the new DG herself use. She has continuously said, Trade is about people. And I, saw, I think that the change we're looking forward to is seeing how she brings people to the center of trade. Whatever the aspect, the issue is that she's got to deal with, bringing people into the center of that, making sure that the WTO is inclusive and progressive. Mm. Kulufelo? 
Yes, um, I'm also going to draw upon something that she has said herself, that it cannot be business as usual at the WTO. I think everyone in the trade community, of course, also internationally, um, you know, thinks that it's about time the WTO moved on. Um, There's a lot of issues that have been on the agenda since 2001 or even before that that weren't even completed uh, when the agreements were negotiated. And uh, I think everybody's really looking forward to her, you know, reformist agenda. But at the same time, if we really want reform, we have to allow it. And so it is very, it's incumbent on all the members of the WTO to give her their support. Thanks to Kulufelo Kugler, Council at the Advisory Centre on World Trade Law, joining us directly from Geneva. Thank you to Professor Caroline Ngube, Research Chair in Intellectual Property, Innovation and Development within the University of Cape Town's Commercial Law. And thanks as well to Dr. Oloyinka Ajala, Lecturer in Politics and International Relations at Leeds Beckett University. We appreciate you all for making us understand the importance of this particular appointment and we know that we get your time free so we're really grateful for you participating in this conversation thank you thank you it's been a pleasure thank you for having me african dialogue looking at different events in depth discussing a variety of issues what we see here is a clear violation of one the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting.